Hi there, this is Sister Service. I'm going to talk to you today about sentimentalism. And you're thinking, why would we ever want to talk about that? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's actually a bigger deal than you think. Um, what is sentimentalism? Well, it is excessive expression of feelings like tenderness, sadness, or nostalgia. Um, and this is being expressed in either like your behavior, your writing, or your speech. So basically, just emotional, being emotional. Um, why is being emotional such a bad thing? I thought that's how we feel the spirit. Well, let's, let's go back then to um, 3 Nephi 11.3 when he said that the spirit was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding, it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and it did cause their hearts to burn. Now, when I think about these um, moments where we feel the spirit, there's, there's this expression of um, like a voice of perfect mildness, or, or maybe it's like a whisper. Um, for me, when I, when I feel the spirit, it's almost like a, a new thought just invigorates my mind, you know? Um, I, I think that sometimes, and, um, you can actually read, there's a wonderful talk. Um, there's a speech given up at BYU by Noel B. Reynolds, um, June of 1981. And he's just talking about sentimentalism and he he really talks about how detrimental this is for the youth oftentimes youth are touched a lot by sentimentalism by um, by emotional stories um, but if you like really look at the emotional story it has very little gospel teachings in a lot of those so um there's a really there's one that's often quoted um like the touch or or oh no i know what it is it's the painting of of the sun or the touch of the master's hand or there's all these cute little stories that we will we we love to retell the youth especially the older generation love to use this for the youth that they're really unhelpful um because even though they touch on our emotions they, they're not exactly explaining how the spirit works. And so actual teaching is very little. You can be touched and feel um, a feeling of connection through sentimentalism, through your emotions. But we have to be very careful that that's not all that we teach. Because then when we feel the spirit and the spirit is telling us to be joyful or happy, we're going to dismiss that and think that's from ourselves. We're going to think that only crying is an appropriate emotion from the spirit to speak to us. And I, I can't tell you. So as an admin for um, a faith, pe people who are going through faith crisis, a group, a Facebook group that I admin for, um, we talk about this all the time. Um, we talk about how hard it is for people who think that the spirit needs to happen one way, for how hard it is for them to join this gospel being told falsely that it, that you only feel the spirit this one way. 
I had a friend I brought with me once to church and she <laughs> afterwards, it was fast Sunday, of course. And she said afterwards, she's like, you know, one thing I've learned about the Mormons is that they cry a lot. <laughs> And I'm not going to discount that you don't feel the spirit so strongly that you cry. But you know what some other reasons we cry are? Because we're scared. We're standing in front of people and we're scared. It actually brings on tears. Um, another thing that, um, the one, another reason we cry is because it's culturally acceptable in our religion to do that. Um, and another reason we cry is simply because our emotions are too our, our feelings of tenderness and love towards something are too big and it just spills out. And, and that is totally acceptable. So don't think that I'm poo-pooing that at all. What I am poo-pooing is the need to feel pressured to cry in order to give the spirit to someone um, or to allow the spirit to work through you. That's not always how he works. Sentimentalism is should not be your only arsenal for teaching. Okay. So I just said that I know it's just awful, but if you think about it, there's so much more. And so, um, I will talk about a term that's going to freak you out and you may have heard me say it once before. It's called epistemology. And that is the study of how we gain knowledge. And that is a much better pursuit um, then solely focusing on sentimental, like sentimentality or sentimentalism, just simply because you're getting all of it. So what is epistemology, the study of knowledge? Why do we need it? Okay. Well, let's, let's look at that for just a second. Um, so religious epistemology is Basically, I view it as a table and you've got eight seats at that table. The head of that table is personal revelation. But coming down from that is the four ch those four chairs on the heart side of this. And that is revelation, experience, beauty, and intuition. Each of those are separate and unique and beautiful things. They are tools in which we find knowledge about our religious beliefs. Now the second side of that is our mind, because remember in DNC six, uh, two, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy ghost, which shall come upon you, which shall dwell in your heart. It said mind and heart. So here's the mind side of it. And that's four seats as well. We've got scholarly authority, witness testimony, logic, ecclesiastical authority. Um, so I'll go over each one of those briefly. First of all, personal revelation is absolutely the head of that table. You know, each of these things are going to work almost like instead of a table, like satellites, and they're each going to give you that global positioning so that you'll able to, you're able to figure out where truth is actually, you know, um, each one of them is giving you a coordinate coordinate. Anyways, um, so personal revelation works in that realm by allowing you through your heart and mind to gain knowledge from your heavenly father. And this takes time. It's not something that's easy. In fact, I could just do an entire episode on nothing but personal revelation and how hard it is to finally navigate and understand that it's taken me almost a lifetime 
and I now understand how, but I learn new things about the process almost on a daily basis. Um, the next thing is my favorite seat. I mean, I should say that personal revelation is my favorite, but the truth is it is very, very difficult. Um, and so even though I absolutely love it, my favorite seat will always be experience. My experiences um, help frame who I am. And because I tend to be more optimistic, a lot of my experiences I'm able to view through the lens of optimism. And so for me, this works. It doesn't work for everyone to use their experience for everything. But like I said, you're not just using one satellite. You've got multiple satellites. That's how GPS system works for your phone. Up there in the sky, there's like anywhere from three to eight satellites. And each of them are trying to pinpoint a location. And when all of those converge, then they know with very pinpoint, like very, very accurate um, pinpoint accuracy within I think 10 feet they can you can be found of where you're exactly at I mean when my daughter lost her cell phone um, when we were up in Flagstaff it could tell us within 10 feet where it was even though we were never able to find it because it was in the snow and it would have taken years we dug and dug and dug we could never find it but within 10 feet that's pretty amazing um, this the third um, seat at this table or the third satellite is beauty beautiful things that speak to us. You know, how about is, can a concept be beautiful? When I tell you that we lived before we came to earth, can that concept be beautiful? Um, and beauty really speaks to a lot of people because it involves everything. It involves music. It involves your surroundings, uh, landscapes, everything, um, that is beautiful to you can speak to religious truth and to spiritual truth. So you should never discount beauty. Um, the, f the final thing that's in the heart section of this um, is intuition, our gut intuition. You know, there's this story of a guy who walked into the Smithsonian and he saw a carving and he said, I don't know why, but I know that carving's a fake. And they were like, no, 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 no. And so, you know, the scientists went back there and checked on it. And sure enough, it had been switched with the original and it was a fake. Um, there's nothing about it that he could pinpoint and say, this is the reason. He just said, I felt it. I felt it. Our intuition is shouldn't be ignored. Sometimes um, our life experiences that are negative tend to cloud our intuition. But our intuition is built over a lifetime through various ways. And we can almost feel it in our gut when something isn't right. You know, um, it's very, very good about finding when things are not right. It's not always great. Um, when it comes to things that are good, sometimes our negative experiences, like I said, color in our intuition a little bit, but it's not the only satellite. Yay. Another one in now we're going to talk about the mind part of this. Um, another satellite is our scholarly authority. People who've spent a lifetime and they've got their PhDs and they are intelligent and they've learned everything they can learn. I mean, they've got minors in Greek mythology or whatever, you know, like people who have taken a lifetime to learn about something, especially when it's theology. When a person who has spent a lifetime in theology can tell you that 
there's one truth, one simple truth, and they believe this and they're backing that up. And it also lines up with your other epistemology satellites of experience, beauty, intuition. You can trust that because all of those things are pointing to that same direction. A lot of people don't like to think of scholarly authority as something important, but actually it really is. Think about that knowledge is so important to our Heavenly Father. He sent us here to gain it. So clearly someone who has gained more knowledge is, can absolutely be helpful to us. The second thing in mind section um, is witness testimony. You know, you learn a lot about um, people just by those who are closest to them, right? If you never got to meet me, but you could only meet my husband and my daughter, would you still learn quite a bit about me? You sure would. And so when we're dealing with a subject that we've never dealt with before, if we can listen to the witnesses who have watched firsthand how this goes down, we're going to learn a lot about that subject, aren't we? There's Each one of these things has its strengths and its drawbacks. And of course, witness testimony has its drawbacks that not everyone always tells the truth. But when you have many of these things lined up, again, they can point to truth. People who are closest to the subject often know the most. Okay, then we're going to go down to the third one in mind, and that is logic. When something logically adds up for you, that can be considered truth. I mean, if your child hasn't eaten in five hours and now they're crying, you could logically assume they might be hungry. That's a very logical assumption. There's many, I mean, there's just many moments in the gospel where you can make a logical assumption based on the facts that you already have in front of you. And of course, logic does have its weaknesses as well, because um, sometimes we start off our logical conclusions with something that actually isn't factual. And so we need to make sure that each part of our logical walkthrough is actually factual, um, because sometimes it's an opinion. It's not actually logic. So we need to be very aware of the strengths and weaknesses of using logic. But if our Heavenly Father sent a Savior down to this earth to save us from our sins, and he loved that man, Jesus Christ, it's very logical to then conclude that you and I are loved deeply. Um, so, like I said, logic has its purpose and its place, but it's not, it's not foolproof. None of these satellites are foolproof. None of the seats of this table in your heart and mind are foolproof. Um, the, the last one in the mind section here is ecclesiastical authority. Now this is important because oftentimes people say, I've been doing this on my own. I've been studying, I'm fasting and praying. I'm getting nowhere. But have you appealed to your ecclesiastical authority? Have you gone to your bishop to talk to him? Have you listened to the voice of the prophet? 
you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes we omit when we're in the middle of a faith struggle or just trying to understand how to teach someone else how to find Heavenly Father and His will. If we're going to be teaching youth especially, and we fail to present them with all of these ways that we find Heavenly Father, and we only provide them with sentimental beauty, we're robbing them of all those satellites that they can use to navigate. They're not going to know about scholarly authority. They're not going to know about ecclesiastical authority. They're not going to realize that intuition plays a part as well as experience, revelation, witness, testimony, and logic. We have to be so careful as we teach that we don't teach people to just follow their feelings because that is just so inaccurate. And all it takes is one small thing to bump a satellite and now it's off, you know? And in our own lives, each of these satellites have their weaknesses. And it's easy to tell which one is off because if one is off and all the other satellites point to a certain location, then you know immediately which one is off. If you're using all of your satellites. And so that's why I always love to use epistemology as satellites. But I also love to tell people to be careful of sentimental thinking of, of using emotions for everything. You need to think outside. You need to think bigger than just a beautiful story. Um, when I try to explain some of the horrible things that I've been through in my life and I talk about, um, moments where I've had personal revelation, I try really hard to describe it in detail so that people understand that, not only did this speak to my heart and my mind, but it was logical. It made sense. Like I try really hard to put in, um, all of those satellites, um, in a way that makes sense so that people realize that it's so much more than just that one. So hopefully you learned something today about sentimentalism and that it's not bad, but we do not want to rely heavily on that to teach our youth of these days. They need more than that. They need more than a heartwarming story. They need real navigation tools. And I hope that that helps you in teaching your youth and helping them to find um, their way through their faith. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <music>